Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. As interest rates go up, it is less likely that these deferred billing programs will do as well. And certainly also, if your financial predicament is better, you're also less likely to participate in those things. So on the one hand, you may have people who their financial predicament in 2022 maybe wasn't as good as it was in 2021. And you know those people may be more inclined to participate. But on the other hand, you also have higher interest rates, which unless the companies are willing to absorb those interest rates, the lenders are, you know, you're going to pass them on to consumers. And if you pass it on to consumers, the consumer isn't going to want to borrow as much. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, one of the things that I just find so perplexing especially when you hear it from money people like VCs and private equity folks is there's so much capital out there yet you look at the economy and you're kind of like, what are you talking about? Like these are tough times. Seriously. And the fluctuations in the stock market reflect this, right? Everybody's excited about something good happening. And then like the next day they're not. I think what there's a lot of is volatility, paradox, two sides to every story or, uh, or maybe even more. So you look at where the marketplace is going and you're like, oh, okay. So if X is true and Y is true, then Z must be true. And that's not, that's like, it couldn't be further from the truth. If X is true and Y is true, then you got to pressure test Z all over again, because we look at consumer spending. Wow. Everybody's ready to continue to spend their people are traveling. The airports are busier than ever. People are just happy to throw the money out into the marketplace and manufacturers are continuing to raise prices and retailers are continuing to raise prices and people are spending it. But at the same time, people's bills are going much higher than the rate of increased salaries. So something doesn't freaking add up. This is my personal belief. I feel that, especially with the younger generations, this notion of savings has gone out the window. That we are operating in a world right now where people can't see beyond the next week. And as a result, they're just willing to spend, not caring about savings and not caring about debt collecting. Or it could be that there's a bit of a YOLO, like, hey, I just lost the past couple of years of my life being stuck at home and I really don't give a crap anymore. But you know, all of this kind of comes to bear at some point. And when that pivotal moment is, is anybody's guess. When uh, I talk to money people, I don't know why they all give me- You talk to a lot of money people. I talk to a lot of money people, too many. They should all stop talking to me. <laughs> they all feel that the economy is gonna change come April, 2023. Who knows? But it's very interesting to, to hear that narrative in the ecosystem 
And our friend and colleague, Sutrita from Forrester, she is very bullish that there's going to be a great holiday 2022 season. Well, at this point, supply is on its way back by April. At least the supply that we know about will probably be back. (laughs) What's behind door number three is anybody's guess. But you really can't ask for a better guess to help do some future planning than Sutrita. Well, on that note, let's bring her onto the show. Today, we are happy to have Sucharita Kadali, VP Principal Analyst at Forrester Research. I get it's a fancy title and all, but I actually think you are like the end all and be all when it comes to knowledge of the totality of the commerce landscape. I just continue to have my mind blown by the breadth of knowledge that you bring. So I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. I am so honored because I look at the guests from the past and I'm like, who's going to listen to this podcast other than me? Like, I mean, you know, it's just amazing, amazing people that you have these CMOs and executives at brand manufacturers that I look up to myself. So thank you. I'm honored. That does mean a lot, but we are both in the analytics business. So I think we'll just do some analytical testing and we'll let you know how you did relative to the rest of them. How about that? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully it won't be too embarrassing. It'll just be between the three of us. So one of the things, speaking of numbers and such, we're already in Q4 season. And that's typical insanity for any B2C brand. And as you referenced, we typically have listeners that do represent brands, sometimes retailers. But given this trifecta of headwinds, of inflation, supply chain, labor, how do you think this holiday season is going to be different from years past? Yeah, it is going to be an interesting one. So we we do have forecasts every year at Forrester, and we're actually projecting that online commerce at least will do better than in 2021, in large part because 2021 was kind of a weird year. Remember, that was you know, a few months after all of the vaccinations have been disseminated, you know, started to to be disseminated, people were more eager to get back into stores. It was sort of the backlash from the 2020, you know, lockdown. So, so 2021 was not a super year for e-commerce, but 2022 pretty much resumes a lot of the trajectory from 2019. We're expecting a decent a decent holiday season. Supply chain issues are not nearly as bad as they were last year. Inflation is still a factor, but that's a weird, weird one because in spite of inflation, consumers still seem to be spending and they're spending at least as much as they were last year. So on that note of consumers still spending, I think Sarah and I both caught that you were on Squawk Box, which was awesome. It was so great to see you there. What you're seeing is that consumers are still spending. Given sort of the dismal financial outlook that exists for the macro economy over the next four quarters, how much longer do you think that this will last? Or do you actually think consumers will keep spending indefinitely regardless of the macroeconomic trends. Yeah, I think that there are a few things happening and it's a little bit I you know I hope it's not totally politically incorrect to to say this because the pandemic was so terrible for so many people but what happened to a lot of people during the pandemic was that they did get a lot of financial windfalls. And it could have been through the stock market. It could have been through government handouts. What we essentially saw, particularly for lower income consumers, was essentially 
two years of social, like the equivalent of two years of social security, essentially being given to consumers in, in a relatively short period of time, people who hadn't historically received essentially windfalls like that before. So many of those consumers actually use the opportunity to do everything from paying down debt to upskilling themselves. As a result, what we're seeing is a, is a labor crunch. And it's, it's a little bit different than, say, some of the really bad inflationary times in the past where it may have been almost entirely a supply shock that led to higher prices. We actually seem to be having a situation where we have consumers able to afford more. And as a result of that, they're paying more for a lot of goods and businesses are raising prices. And, and you can see that in the profitability of a lot of publicly traded companies now that are consumer facing. So that's a good question, Rachel. I think that what will happen is that we are going to have to accept higher prices in some categories just forever. But I don't know that it's going to necessarily, you know, kind of continue at this rate of really high inflation forever, because at some point, the savings dwindle. We're probably approaching that point where, where people have spent down everything that they had saved. Do you or Forrester have a perspective on whether seeing consumers continue to spend and even willing to pay up, is there any correlation to these layaway services like Afterpay? Like the relationship between actually not having to really pay for things? What was always the case, well, definitely kind of any type of financing, like layaway in particular, was very much about people who may have had cash crunches. There's no question about that. Certainly, in the past, you had two things working together. You had low interest rates in addition to people maybe being financially strapped. And that actually led to a lot of these deferred billing programs and the successes of them. As interest rates go up, it is less likely that these deferred billing programs will do as well. And certainly also, if your financial predicament is better, you're also less likely to participate in those things. So on the one hand, you may have people who their financial predicament in 2022 maybe wasn't as good as it was in 2021. And you know those people may be more inclined to participate. But on the other hand, you also have higher interest rates, which unless the companies are willing to absorb those interest rates, the lenders are, you know, you're going to pass them on to consumers. And if you pass it on to consumers, the consumer isn't going to want to borrow as much. Yeah. That really gets us into conversations about elasticity and how long this stuff can go on. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming, to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. In terms of like what people are willing to pay for, whether now or later, one of the things that cropped up a lot was that people were willing to pay for convenience, A, when the going was good, you know, combination of having that influx of cash stimulus, whatnot, as well as personal safety. So people didn't want to go into stores. So they were willing to pay for the convenience of having DoorDash or any last mile delivery option. It's harder and harder for people to be able to make ends meet given the inflation, yet 
consumers are still, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to have any sign of letting up. That being said, the profitability metrics on all this stuff are wackadoodle, right? Like, how do you pay people to do all the shopping for you and deliver it and be able to, you know, continually either waive fees or expect consumers? So who pays for this? Like, is it the consumers are just expected to pay for that convenience? And if so, does that just totally drop off? Do the brands have to start defraying these costs? Do the retailers see this as a fight for survival? Like, how do you see this? That whole world of quick commerce and, you know, kind of ultra fast delivery, it was always a big question mark around, especially in the United States, whether it was long for the world, because to your point, labor costs are too high and it's really, really hard to make it cost effective because people don't want to pay more than We've done research on this, like they don't want to pay more than like $2 a transaction. And some of these transactions cost like $20, just the cost, you know, the labor cost. So that doesn't sound like a great business model. What had happened is that you just had a bunch of venture capitalists and investors subsidizing it for the longest time. I really don't, this, this is partially why you see, you know, so many of these companies either scaling back or exiting the United States entirely. A lot of these are quick commerce players that may have started in, in Europe or somewhere else. Their likelihood of survival, even in dense urban areas, was, was so limited. But that is why you do see, let's take the case of Instacart, for instance, because they're probably one of the few companies that will be left standing at the end of it. They've diversified like every announcement that they seem to have made in like the last several months is about B2B services, right? It's about, yes, we have this B2C business where we're delivering, but that's not the growth engine or that's not the engine of profitability, what we need to be doing is taking our technology and selling it to other retailers. And that can be anything from the platform to the recommendation engine to the advertising through their retailer media network. So there's a whole bunch of other strategies to try to subsidize the delivery because you're absolutely right, Sarah. I mean, it's it's ridiculously expensive. Now, very different situation in Latin America or the Far East where labor costs are substantially lower. And in those countries, you can get somebody to go fetch you your milk and get it, get it to you in like, you know, in 20 minutes and do that cost effectively. But we don't have that in this country. And until we get drones, it's probably not going to happen at scale. Yep. The future of last mile is certainly automation. You might be sick of talking about this topic, but Sarah and I are obsessed with it. So we, we can't avoid talking about it. You know, in the, in the changing ecosystem and as more and more dollars move into commerce, whether that is pure play or omni-channel, we're watching different organizations move where e-commerce sits within the organization. Sometimes it's the marketing team. Sometimes it's the sales organization. Sometimes it's the center of excellence. Do you have a perspective on or feedback from a lot of the, the brands that you work with on where commerce should sit within an organization? Yeah, that's a really interesting question about org structure because in all of the companies that I have seen, almost no two have the same organizational structure for e-commerce and digital. And even within the same company, you know, it's not uncommon for me to see digital sitting in five different places over the course of, say, five years. And, you know, you've probably seen similar things too. 
But more importantly than where it sits, because if, if anything, I, I think that you as a digital leader probably want to sit as close as you can to the nexus of power, wherever that is in the organization, whoever is the most influential, whoever happens to be able to get you the biggest budget. Sometimes that's within the finance organization. Sometimes it's within the merchandising team. Sometimes it may be marketing. So wherever that is, and sometimes that nexus can change too, depending on if there are new executives sometimes brought in from the outside, right? Or some people get promoted. But more important than where it sits is to make sure that goals are aligned. And that is where I see the single biggest point of failure for a lot of brands and e-commerce teams is that if they are set up in a way where their goals are not aligned with whoever they need to be working with, that is where things fall apart. Like for instance, one of the biggest reasons that say an online marketplace will fail is because you'll have a marketplace team and that team is responsible for trying to drive marketplace units, but then they are essentially competing with their internal merchandising team. And if you don't have the same goals to try to drive marketplace units or try to drive profitability through marketplace units, you're going to basically have that merchant push out the digital organization. The only exception would I would say would be like early in a company's life cycle with digital and you probably want a little bit of oxygen in the beginning. And the best way to get that oxygen is often to let that part of the organization be siloed so you're not stymied by all these departments of no, which we know are you know prevalent in large companies. Yeah, usually when the question of budget comes up, that's usually where the department of no starts uh, rearing its ugly head. Is there a tipping point from a percentage of revenue where you think that it goes from one place to another? Because, you know, you talk about culture and we talk about the e-commerce maturity curve as it becomes more mature. But is do you think that there's a certain percentage of revenue where you're like, oh, once you hit double digits or once you hit 25% or once it's in totality more than your largest retailer or second largest retailer, that's when it starts pivoting. Like, do you think there is a compelling event that drives that as well? That is a really interesting question. And if I had to put a number on it, I would say probably 10% because it's that double digit threshold where all of a sudden it's sort of like, Mm, this is substantial. And usually that's the point at which, uh, you know, you start to see CEOs taking notice and really wanting to fund that part of the organization. Prior to that, it's often kind of like almost a, an innovation project versus a strategic part of the business. I like your 10%. I remember early pandemic, early 2020, BCG came out with a report and I think their numbers were six to 8%, but 10% seems right in line with that. We could pick your brain forever. You have so much knowledge. I already know our listeners are going to be obsessed with this episode, but we got to ask you our famous last question, which is what's the bravest thing that you've ever done? Oh my gosh. And um, I thought about this because I know that this is like your question. And, you know, I wish I had something to say like, oh, I was arrested for protesting something, or I, you know, kind of tore up a picture of, of the Pope on national television and lost my career, right? I wish. That's like Sinead O'Connor, right? I mean, it's, it'd be, a, yeah, no, I, I haven't done anything, anything so brave, but I guess what I would, I would say is, um, 
because I, I know that a lot of your other guests have often talked about their their personal journeys and whatnot, which I thought was was a really compelling you know way to answer the question. And and what I I'll go back to to my childhood. I because I you know kind of that that's probably the the bravest. Um, is I grew up in a little town in uh, in West Virginia of all of all places in the world, and I was you know it was a town of like twenty thousand people, and then shrunk even as I I got older. And I was one of the I was the only person of color in my class for for many years, the only immigrant for sure, and uh, I had to you know, get on, on the, it was a Catholic school that I went to. So I'm not Catholic, but, um, you know, my, my mother felt very strongly about, you know, parochial. Wait, wait, wait. So, so that, does that explain why you didn't rip up the whole Pope picture? I know there is so much to unpack. It'll be another conversation, Sarah. I grew up probably feeling more like an other than, any other time in my life. And, um, you know, just even getting on the bus every day, uh, you know, as a, as like a six-year-old was definitely, you, you know, kind of something that I wish I didn't have to do, but it, it made me who I am. And, um, I guess a more interesting person, it certainly has shaped my, my empathy for others, probably more than, more than anything. So I guess that's, that's what I would, I would say is probably the, the bravest thing I've ever done. I, you know, it's, uh, it, it's like a, if I had to have written, you know, if I had been asked that question as like a applicant for college, you know, I, I don't know what I would have said. It's such, it's a, it's a great provocative question. Well, I have a feeling maybe the answer would be similar. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your thoughts. So powerful. We look forward to seeing these holiday 2022 predictions come to life. I'm sure Sarah and I are going to ask you again to come onto the show. Any time. What an honor. It's so great to spend time with you guys. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.